0: We are coming to the end of our series in the book of Acts, looking at the early church, looking at the story and life and story of Paul. And we've come now to enter into today into chapter 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts. We've been following Paul's journey. He journeyed uh, to he remember he had eyes that were set to go to Rome and, and ultimately to Spain, was his hope. He had set his eyes on returning to Jerusalem. Heading then to Rome onto Spain so that he could plant churches, so that he could um, declare the gospel and, and plant more churches in those areas. Rome again is the center of the world for Paul's during Paul's time, and so he wants to get there. He's been he's been aiming for metropol for metrop metropolitan, sorry, metropolitan areas, not metropolitan metropolitan areas, and, and so he's, he's been doing that all through his journeys, and he, and he has his eyes set on Rome. He wants to get to Rome, but in the midst of all of that, and you've, you can read it there in Acts, you've heard it, we've been talking about it for, for weeks. In the midst of all of that, he comes to Jerusalem, and the plan does not go like Paul had hoped. He gets arrested early on, actually rescued, not even arrested, but rescued, uh, for the protection of his own life, and in the midst of that, Rescue. He's incarcerated because they know that that if they were to let him go, he would be killed. He would be assassinated. Even we've talked about that. And so the Roman authorities hold him for a couple of years. He has a couple of trials between before Felix and then Festus and then Agrippa. And we've looked at all of those. And finally, he he says, "I, "I I want to take my case. I plead my case to Caesar. Send me to Rome." Let me take my case before Caesar. And so that's exactly what they do. They put him on a boat. And last week we, we talked about that picture. Luke uh, is now traveling with Paul again. And Luke paints this picture of that, that any seafarer would understand well and be able to track and follow. He gets. They get on a boat, they, they travel around, they get on a bigger boat, a more seafaring boat with a, a grain boat from Egypt, and they began to travel, but the winds are against them, and they're fighting against the winds, they're struggling against the winds, and they come... To to the island uh, and Fairhaven is the port that they're at and they and Paul says we really should stay here we need to winter here this trip has taken us too long it's too late in the year if we're to to continue on uh, there's there's probably risk of our of our boat but maybe even lives if we are to take off from here. But, but Luke tells us that the, the guard that was in charge of all of the prisoners, the one that was kind of in charge of what was happening on the boat, he listens instead, not to Paul, but instead he listens to the captain and the owner of the boat, and they set off. And, and the Bible tells us, Luke tells us, as, as they set off from Fairhaven, they're just trying to really to get around to a better port, a better place to winter. But they're encouraged, Luke tells us, by the southerly winds. And now all of a sudden they think finally, the winds are blowing our way, finally we're gonna get, we've been working against the wind all of this distance, our whole route has taken longer than we anticipated, but now, now the winds are at our back. And they're gonna blow us exactly where we want to go. And, And they're encouraged by that. And we talked last week about how oftentimes, right before the storm that comes our way, we're encouraged. And it comes the storm comes when we least expect it. The storm comes when everything seems to be going in the right direction, when the winds are at our back and we're being pushed exactly where we want to go. All of a sudden, the gentle, southerly winds that have been pushing us along become northeasters, or tempestuous winds. It's the way that Luke describes it in Acts chapter 27 tempestuous wind comes up and begins to blow against the boat and it begins this huge storm and the sailors that are on the boat they do everything that they can they 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 start to cast things off they they tie ropes around the entire hull they take off the rudder and they strap it to the deck so that it won't break off they they start to throw things overboard in fact they even get to to the storm is so big and it's and it's they're afraid it's gonna sink the boat that they, that they probably take the mast off and throw the mast and the main sail overboard. They throw a parachute, a big sea parachute, off the back to drag through the water so that they won't go as fast and, and it won't be quite as bad. They do everything that they know to do. But the storm rages on. For 14 days, Luke tells us. For 14 days, there's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars, there's just storm. And Luke says, in Acts chapter 27, Luke says, all of our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. We've been in this storm for so long. We don't know which direction is up. We can't navigate anything. We've had to throw off most of our tackle. All hope has been abandoned. And last week we talked about how you and I know storms like this. We maybe haven't been caught on the boat in the Mediterranean. And we, don't, we don't understand all of that. We're, I said last week we're land lubbers. We're, we're South Dakotans. We don't sail. But we know storms. We know what it's like to have tempestuous winds come against us. And Paul, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this winds, in the midst of these 14 days where the sun doesn't shine and the moon doesn't show, in the midst of that, Paul finally steps up again and speaks to the men on the boat. And he says, he says, take heart, take courage. There's not gonna be any loss of life. He says, an angel has come, an angel of the God of whom I serve and the God of whom I am. He said, an angel has come, and everybody's going to survive it's going to be exactly as i've been told but he says the storm is going to take us where we have to run aground our boat our ship has to run aground somewhere in the midst of the storm to be over and so in the midst of that paul urges all of the men on the boat to eat urges them to eat he says for 14 days you haven't eaten anything your strength is waning You need to eat. And it says that they were encouraged, all of the people on the boat. They ate and they were encouraged. They were strengthened right there in the midst of the storm. And then, then as dawn approaches, they begin to hear the waves sound a little different. We're getting close. They, they anticipate that they're close to shore. They, they do, again, the, they throw some anchors off. They do everything that they can to, to line themselves up, to get ready to crash against the shore so that they will be safe. They're gonna beach their boat on the island that they see out in the distance. And so they, they take the rudder off and they put the rudder back on, on the back of the boat and they begin to steer it exactly where they wanna go and they, they head right for the beach of Malta. But before they can get to the beach... They hit the reef. They hit a sandbar. And the front of the boat is lodged. The back of the boat, the waves are crashing against the back of the boat, and the boat is breaking apart. And the guards, the guards know that the only way for them to get off is to, is to jump overboard. The boat, the boat is breaking apart. it's going to be destroyed. And, and the guards don't want the soldiers, or the, guard, the soldiers don't want the, the prisoners to escape, and so they're going to kill them all. And Julius, the lead guard stands up for Paul and, and says, no, we're, we're, we're not going to kill. We're not going to kill the prisoners. And they shout, every man, swim for the shore. If you can't swim, grab part of the boat that's breaking apart and get in to the shore. And as Luke leaves us at the end of chapter 27, we find that all 276 people that were on board the ship make it safely to, to land. All 276 men make it safely to the beach. And I talked last week about how this, this passage is an, is an interesting mix in, in looking and knowing and understanding and resting in the sovereignty of God. God's in control of all things. God is the one that, that controls every, every wind, every cloud, every wave. And it's a mix between the resting in the sovereignty of God and, and trusting in the hands of men. And there's both parts in this story. There's both parts in the story. There's there's a promise in the midst of the story there's an angel that comes and makes a promise that that God is going to bring them to safety that not a hair on their head is going to be is going to come loose, Paul says. There's a there's a trust that God is sovereign in it and yet and yet the men have to work hard in order for the all 276 people to be rescued or or brought safely to shore. And last week we talked about what, what, does, what does it look like? Well, what principles can we learn from this story for when we are in the midst of a storm, whatever that storm might be, as we talked about last week? And I think the principles that we saw in that, that relate to even what we're about to talk about this morning, is that, is that we want we need to do everything that we know how to do when we're in the midst of the storm. That's what the sailors did. They did absolutely everything they knew how to do. They strapped the rudder down. They threw the things overboard. They threw the grain overboard. Their their whole supply that they had, they they strapped the rudder down. They threw the anchors off. They threw the the sea parachute overboard. Everything that they knew how to do, they they tied ropes around the entire boat to strap it together. They didn't give in. They didn't sit back and say, I I don't know what we're going to do. We're just going to let the boat go wherever it needs to go, and whatever happens, happens. That wasn't their approach. They worked hard. They didn't give in. They did everything that they knew what to do. They went all in. And sometimes that's the first thing we have to do in the midst of the storm, is go all in and work hard to do everything we know how to do. But the second thing we talked about, which was really the most important, it just came second in the story, is that we need to remember, as Paul did, we need to remember to whom we belong and to whom we belong. We worship. That's the way Paul says it. An angel appeared, an angel of the God to whom I belong, and a God to whom I worship. That's the second thing in the list, but it's the most important thing in reality that we remember our God, that we remember his name, we remember his promises, we remember the, the, the verses that we've learned, we remember the scripture, we remember the songs that we've sung, even this morning, the songs that we've sung, that you remind yourself of those things. That you remind yourself of the God to whom you belong, and you remind yourself of the one to whom you worship. And then you prepare for the next step. The way way they did it on the boat, the the way that Paul said, he he said, yeah, it's been 14 days, you have to eat. You have to strengthen up. There's, There's gonna be something that happens and we're gonna need physical strength. We're gonna need physical strength for us at the end of this storm. And so prepare, get ready, strengthen up in the midst of the storm. Again, do what you know to do. And in your storm, whatever the storm is brewing in your life, or whatever storm is coming in your future. Strengthen up in the midst of it. Sometimes it's just eating, as Paul said. Just eat, sleep, get your rest, get your strength. There's all kinds of other ways that we have to ask for help, but do what you need to do to strengthen yourself, even in the midst of the storm. And then lastly, I said last week swim with all your might at the end. When the boat lodges in the in the reef, when the boat is crashing and breaking apart, nobody jumped in the water and did the back float to get to shore, I don't think. I think they jumped in, I think they grabbed whatever they could grab and they kicked and they swam with all their might to get to the shore. And sometimes that's exactly what we have to do in the midst of a storm. Work with all of our might. Kick as hard as we can. Do everything that we can. When the opportunity shows itself, you work with everything that you have to get to the end. One of the things I didn't say last week that I've thought about a couple times this week is is the end of the storm for Paul and for the other 275 people that were on the boat, the end of the storm didn't end with the clouds parting and the sun shining and a rainbow on the horizon. That wasn't the end of the storm. That would be a, that'd be a picture-perfect way. That's what Hollywood would do, right? But that's not the end of the storm. The end of the storm for Paul and the 275 people on the boat was a shipwreck. It wasn't a rainbow. And sometimes when you get to the end of your storm, it's not sunshine and rainbows. But sometimes, sometimes it's shipwrecks. And sometimes it's shipwrecks and even more. That's what we come to here in Acts chapter 28. Let's read it together. 276 people have made it to shore. They were all brought safely to land. And then Luke tells us some more of the story. After we were brought safely through, when we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him and when this had taken place the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured they also honored us greatly and when we were about to set sail they put on board whatever we needed luke tells us that the end of the storm for paul and his other sailors the end of the storm was a shipwreck they crash they jump off they swim they grab whatever they can they swim to the shore When they get to the shore, it's not sunshine and rainbows, but it's cold and rainy, and they're soaked to the bone. And the people who are on shore, the people that come and meet them, start a fire for them. And they need wood for the fire. There's 276 people. They need a big fire or a lot of fires. However, they're going to do that to warm everyone up. And so they need lots of wood to do that. And so Paul walks around with all of the other soldiers. They begin to collect up the wood and, and the wood that, uh, that Paul picks up and he brings to the fire as he's holding it in the, in, there next to the fire, a snake that's inside the log or inside the wood that he has warms up just enough to come out and to strike him on the hand and, and hang, dangle from his hand. And all of the natives there, they know this snake and they know that it's not going to be very long before his hand swells up before infection comes before the poison begins to take its effect and Paul is going to keel over and die. And when they see that and they see that this snake has attached itself to Paul, they 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 just saw him come up on the beach, they saw him swim onto the shore, they see the ship in the background breaking apart on the reef. They see all of that, they see the snake hanging from his hand, and they say, this man must be a murderer. This man must have done something so horribly, so atrocious, that even though he escaped from the storm, even though he survived a shipwreck, even though he's safely here on shore, this man must be a murderer for all these bad things to happen to him. He escaped a storm, he escaped a shipwreck, only to die by snakebite on the island of Malta. And their response is that this man must be a murderer because justice has not allowed him to live. Justice has not allowed him to live. If you look in your Bible, or it's on the screen there too, justice, justice is a capital J. Justice... These people on Malta. Justice is the God. Justice is the God. The, the Greek word in here would have been the, the root word that we use for Nemesis. That there's there is a God who is in charge of all things, they're saying. His name is Justice or or Nemesis is the God that that they're saying here. That that there's going to be a payment for what he has done and justice is not going to allow him to live. This man has been so bad. He has done something that's so wrong that there must be some kind of supernatural, some kind of divine cause for this to happen to him. You must have done something so horrible to have these horrible things happen to you. And we read that and we think, oh, it's not justice. It's not nemesis. Other, other religions that try to, to, to define it, they'll, they'll say it's, it's karma. Your karma is coming back now. You've done all these bad things and now these bad things are going to happen to you. And as we read the story, as we look at it, we, we have a different picture because we know Paul... These natives, they haven't been following Paul's story. We understand it a little bit differently. But there are all kinds of times in our lives where we have that exact same thought and that exact same attitude. Why? Why do we experience storms and shipwrecks and snake bites? Why do these bad things happen? They must happen for a reason. They must happen because dot, dot, dot. Why do storms and shipwrecks and snake bites happen? For the people of Malta, it was because Paul obviously had to be a murderer. But I want to give you some other ideas this morning on why we experience storms and shipwrecks and snake bites. first that I think we all know, we all remember, and yet we all need to be reminded of is that we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. Sin, sin has so distorted our world that we deal with the brokenness every day in lots of ways that we see and know and in lots of ways that we don't even see and know and understand. When sin entered into the world, everything changed. Before sin, in the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, everything was perfect. The garden was perfect. God created it. He created Adam. He created Eve. He created all of these things. And then he sits back and says, this is really But in the midst of that goodness, in the midst of that garden, in the midst of of everything being right and really good, Adam and Eve do the one thing that God has told them not to do. They go to the tree. They listen to the serpent. They take a bite of the fruit. And in that moment, everything changes. Everything changes. And sin, sin distorts everything that we know. And the first real storm, I think, happens in that moment. Instantly, it says, Adam and Eve, right away, they, they they see their nakedness, and there's a scramble for them to cover their shame. There's a meeting right after that with a holy, perfect God as they try to attempt to explain their actions. There's a gathering of all of the culprits of the snake of Adam and Eve. There's a curse that comes, again, to all of the culprits that God gives. There's an expulsion from the garden. Everything changed in the midst of this. Everything changed. And from that moment, from that moment, we have been in a downward spiral because sin has not gotten better. You don't have to read very far in Genesis to see that the ramifications of sin, as they as Adam and Eve get expelled from the garden, it doesn't get better in the next generation for Adam and Eve. It gets worse. The first murder happens in the next generation. And as those generations continue on, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. And we're in this downward spiral and everything, everything continues. Everything continues. Sin compounds and it doesn't get better. And where we're at right now doesn't get better. We've adapted, we've figured out some things to do, some ways that we can work around the ramifications of sin. Technology has helped us in lots of ways in our current day, but sin still colors everything that we know even in the good things we still they're still colored by sin even in this story Paul, Paul gets to shore and the, and the warmth of the fire that's meant to dry his dry his soaked clothing to warm his body even the warmth of that fire is what warms up the snake that comes out of the log to bite him on the hand Sin taints everything that we know. There's this, there's this groaning that happens. That's the way Paul describes it in Romans chapter 8. It'll be on the screen, but read it with me in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed with us. For creation And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as the sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's a groaning. There's a groaning that happens in all of creation. Everything in creation is not like it was in the garden. And there's a groaning that happens in creation, and it's not just happening in creation. It's not just creation that was subjected to futility, it's us as well. But it was subjected in hope. We ourselves groan. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we know that it is not meant to be this way, and we groan too, and we eagerly await our adoption as sons. Storms, shipwrecks, snake bites. Happen because the world is broken and sin continues to move us in a downward spiral, and we see it everywhere and it impacts us in all kinds of ways lots of ways we know, and in lots of ways that we don't. But storms and shipwrecks and snake bites also happen, I think, and scripture points us to this because sometimes storm, storms and shipwrecks and snake bites are corrective and or directive for those who are experiencing them. They're corrective or directive. Oftentimes, God uses our circumstances, especially hard and difficult circumstances, to discipline us as his children. Scripture points us to that. It, the writer of Hebrews says it to us in, in Hebrews chapter 12. It's on the screen. And have you forgotten this exhortation that addresses you as sons, he says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hebrews tells us that sometimes those things that are painful those storms that come the snakes that bite sometimes those are discipline from a loving father who disciplines us for our good. And if you're left without discipline, you are an illegitimate son, he says, in Hebrews chapter 12. Sometimes it's corrective. Sometimes what we experience is being used to bring us to repentance. And sometimes it's used to help lead us to where he has called us to go. Sometimes it's corrective. And sometimes it's directive. The story of Jonah is a good illustration of that. God uses the giant fish, the storm and then the giant fish, both to discipline Jonah, to bring him to the point where he comes to repentance. And then when he is spit out of the whale, he is back in the place where he was to go originally. It leads him to repentance. It's corrective. It's also directive. Instead of running as far away as he can in the opposite direction, God uses that storm, that fish, that spit up to bring him back to where he wanted him to be in the first place. God uses our suffering, he uses our hardships, he uses our storms and snake bites to produce patience and character and hope. That's the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 5. And he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Sometimes our suffering, our storms and our snake bites, are corrective and directive. God uses them to bring us to repentance and move us to where he has called us to go. the third reason i think that we experience storms and shipwrecks and snake bites is that there is an unknown and there is an unseen broader picture of god's glory that's being painted there's an unknown and unseen broader picture of god's glory that's being painted there's something bigger than what we can see there's something bigger than what we can know that that was the verse that was on the screen as you came in this morning from romans chapter 8 we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. When we are in the midst of storms and shipwrecks and snake bites, we do not feel good. We do not know good. We do not sense good. And yet, Paul tells us that all things are working together for good. All things work together for good. There's something greater than what we can see and what we can know. Another illustration of this is, is, is one of my favorite stories comes in, in John chapter 9. And we've talked about it before. I've, I've shared it several times. John chapter 9, the, the, Jesus is with his disciples, and they come on this man who's been, been blind from birth. And, and the disciples ask Jesus, as they see this man, they ask Jesus, Who, why, why is he blind? Why is this storm, why is this shipwreck, why is this snake bite on him? Why is he blind? Why has he been blind from birth? Why is he suffering in that way? Is it because of his sin, the disciples say? Or is it because of his parents' sin? Somebody had to do something wrong. Somebody had to be the murderer that survived a shipwreck only to get bit by a snake. Somebody had to do something wrong, the disciples say, in order for this man to spend his entire life blind. And Jesus says in John chapter 9 Jesus answers It was not that his man, this man sinned or that his parents sinned but that the works of God might be displayed in him That the works of God might be displayed in him It's not his sin, it's not his parents sin. Jesus says sometimes this is not about you. Sometimes the snake bite is not about you. It's about me. It's about my glory. And Jesus goes on to display God's glory by healing the blind man there in John chapter 9. It's that God's glory is to be seen, it's that God's glory, it's that God's fame, it's that God's renown is to be declared. That's why even in that first storm, Adam and Eve in the garden, there's a a curse, but there's a promise in the midst of the curse. I'm doing something. I'm going to do something that you do not understand, that you cannot comprehend. I'm going to do something even in the midst of this curse. There's going to be one that comes and the serpent is going to strike at his heel. But this one that comes is going to stomp on your head. There's a hope. There's a hope that comes even in the midst of that. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 28. The snake bites Paul. The viper hangs from his hand. They say, oh, this man must be a murderer. They wait, they watch He's going to swell up. He's going to keel over. He's going to die right here on the beach. That's what we've seen. that's what we know, that's what we expect. But it doesn't happen. Nothing happens to Paul. And instantly they change their mind. He must not be a murderer. Instead he must be a God. But Paul but Paul doesn't let it end there. What Luke tells us is that Paul then goes through the island. Showing God's glory, healing those who are sick, healing Publius' father from dysentery. God's glory is seen all through Paul's life and experience on Malta. God is painting a broader picture that we can't see and we can't understand. There are unseen an unknown, broader picture that's being painted. And so sometimes, sometimes snake bites. No, not sometimes. All the time. God is orchestrating storms and shipwrecks and snake bites so that his glory might be seen. That we can trust and rest in the sovereignty of God. Why do we suffer? Why do we have storms, shipwrecks, snake bites? Because there's a brokenness in the world. It comes against us. God uses those things to work in us, to correct us, to direct us. And because there's a picture that we cannot understand. Worship team is going to come and lead us this morning. We're going to sing a song that that is familiar to us. We even sang it last week. Reminding us that God moves in ways that we cannot understand. That he is at work in ways that we cannot comprehend. And he is accomplishing things that we cannot foresee. But he is sovereign over all things. Every storm Every shipwreck, every snake bite, every suffering that you and I experience, God is sovereign and leads us in it. We stand this morning as we worship together.
1: God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform He plants His footsteps in the sea And rides upon the storm Deep in His dark and hidden with never-failing skill, He fashions all His bright designs and works His sovereign will. So. that you now dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head judge not the Lord by feeble sense but trust Him for His grace providence he hides a smiling face so Tears are great and comforts few. We hope in mercies ever new. We trust. God's purposes will ripen fast Unfolding every hour The bud may have a bitter taste But sweet will be the flower Blind on leaf is sure to end God is work in vain God is his own interpreter And he will make it plain So God we trust So God, we trust in you. So God. When tears are great and comforts you we hope in mercies ever new when tears are great and comforts few we hope in mercies ever new we trust in
0: Several years before the shipwreck, before the storm, before the snake bite, Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. I hope you'll join us for lunch and care box packing.